There being nothing, let's go ahead and turn, if you will, and have your Bibles back to James chapter 4. We're going to finish chapter 4 here today. If the Lord continues to move in the direction in which He's moved us to this point as we've prepared to come. And we'll read verses 13 through 17 of James chapter 4. James writes, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. The title for the message today would be God's Will and Man's Future. God's will and man's future. I want to begin today by way of asking you a few questions for your consideration and thought. Questions that are common, often asked by men and women. Ask inwardly, if not outwardly. But how do you think about your life? How do you assess it? How do you Consider your life. What do you think about it? And what's the right way to think about it? How do you, how are we to make plans for the future? Should you make plans at all? What do you want from your life? What should you want from your life? What things should you consider as you even answer these questions? What should be the, the test in answering them? How does the Bible instruct us to answer them? And I want to speak to you today about this thought. And from these verses of Scripture, um, answer how the Bible tells us to think about these questions. And so what do you want from your life? And what is God's will? And what is your future? What is God's will? And how does that impact your future? James says to come now, and he begins with this, these thoughts or this, this word, come now. This word in the Greek, among a number of others in the Greek language, they, they are known as words that are prompters of attention. He says, come now. James wants to gain the attention of those that he is writing to. He's getting ready to share something of great importance for those that would read the words that he's writing. I think there is in James an awareness that God is having him to write these things. And so he says to them to come now. Give me your attention, he says. Listen. Consider. Pay attention. And, and he wants them certainly to do that. And, and this might seem like a small thing. It's right at the beginning of verse 13. It might seem like a small and unworthy thing for me to call out and to call attention to. But I, I think in this, there's something very important for us to think about. 
when James says to come now. The willingness and I think even the ability for man today, men and women alike, certainly young people perhaps especially, maybe that's because I'm older and I'm turning into that proverbial old man. But I think there is in our lives today a, a growing unwillingness and even inability to pay attention and to focus. To consider over a long period of time. I, I think that skill and the willingness to pay attention is a disappearing thing in our lives at a, and I think it's disappearing at an alarming rate and I, I think that should be a concern of ours. And James writes and says, Come now, give heed to what I'm about to say, to write specifically. Because James knows that what he's getting ready to write to them is of utmost importance. So he calls upon them to give him their attention. Today we laugh off, I think, far too often, this disappearing attention span of ours. We, we explain it away by saying it's just a part of the modern world in which we live. I think there is something to be said for a preacher or, or really anyone who is trying to present in some sort of a speaking way, there is a need to consider the fact that men and women can only apply their attention for so long. I, I think that's something to be thought about, but I also think that the vanishing and disappearing ability for men and women to pay attention and to listen and to hear, I think that's an alarming thing and a concerning thing. And, and I would ask you, who do you think wants that to be the case? God or the enemy? Do you think this is something that is that is to be made light of? I think that one of the things that makes us unique among all of God's creatures is this ability to focus, to set aside other things, and to consider and to ponder what's, what our lives mean, and to ask those questions that we ask in the beginning. What do I want from my life? Or maybe even a better question, what does God want from my life? How should I think about my life? How should I think about my future? But when we have lost the ability to focus and to think, or when we're distracted by the next thing that's in front of our eyes, when we lose this ability to pay attention to anything longer than a few minutes, we lose the ability, I think, to be what God has created us to be as human beings, people with the ability to think and to consider their lives. We just go from one video to the next, I'm afraid. From one post to the next, I'm afraid. From one television show to the next. And, and we're all probably the same way. You finish shows today, it used to be you had to wait till next week to get to the next episode of the Dukes of Hazard. Today, you just click the next one right as soon as it's done and it goes right in. And our ability to think and to consider has been vanishing and has been chipped away at for so long that I think right at the beginning it's important for us to think about why James said, come now. Because he wants to arrest your attention and mine. I'm getting ready to tell you something I believe to be of great importance. And so he says, please give me your attention. I want to encourage you today to build time into your days to focus on the bigger questions of life. Don't fixate on them. 
don't become the monk that climbs the mountain and sits there and only thinks about them and fails to live life but think about them and consider them and grow your ability to focus amidst all the distractions of this world and to be able to set aside and and filter out the things that are not as important for the things that are don't waste your life whiling it away I want you to consider and remember that if you find yourself often killing time, time is also killing you. It's all that we have is time. So I begin here with James and I ask you with him, not for my part, not to listen merely to me, but to listen to what God might say to you. And I say with James, come now. Listen. Now, if you decide after hearing me that I have nothing worthwhile to say, that's your prerogative. It's your freedom to do that. But I would ask you, how can you know if what I have to say or what James specifically here has to say, how do you know that it's not worthwhile if you do not turn off the distractions that are right now warring for your attention and not listen? How can you know if what I have to say is of value or not if you don't listen? You're free to consider at the end of our time today that anything I said you can say and it will be your right to say it in your mind. What he said is not applicable to me. Maybe I think, maybe you'll think by the end of it that I am out of my mind, that I'm crazy. And, and really, there are just three choices, I think, for you when I am done speaking here today for you to consider what it is that I have to say. One, you'll, you'll leave thinking I'm crazy. I don't know what I'm talking about. That's possible, and it's been true at times, no doubt, in my life. I pray that's not the case today, because what I pray today, what we're doing is talking about what James has said, and specifically what the Holy Spirit has said through him. But you'll go away from here today thinking, I'm crazy, and I don't know what I'm talking about, and my belief in God and in eternity is lunacy. That's one thing that you'll be able to walk away from today as your opinion. But I would say to you today that you can't come to that opinion rightly unless you listen and consider secondly you can say i'm wrong about what this scripture means and certainly that's your prerogative too and i would encourage you to make sure you do agree that what i say is what the scripture says it's not important not true because i say it things are true because god has said it my interpretation of scripture is not scripture but god will clear that up in your mind but you'll be able to think that or third and this is where I hope that we get to today. You'll leave here thinking I have shared nothing with you but what is true. And that God has said how we are to think about our future and how we are to think about his will. That's the third option. I hope that you know or can tell that I am in my right mind. I hope this as Paul did when he was speaking with Festus and I thought of Acts chapter 26 after Paul had testified to Festus and given his defense and talked about being saved, how he was saved on the road to Damascus and how he was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus was the son of God. And Festus, after hearing this, said to Paul in the 24th, 24th verse of chapter 26, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But verse 25, Paul says, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. 
you know, if you leave here or you hear what it is that we say, that I say here today, and you leave and you disagree with me, does not mean that I am out of my mind. It does not mean that I'm crazy. Those are two very different things. I will do the same here today that Paul did a long time ago, and I will do my best to speak true and rational words. True and rational words from the Scripture. What God has told us in the Bible. Words that I pray are accompanied by the power of the Holy Spirit, but rational words nonetheless. And I would venture to say that the Spirit is a rational being. So I want you to hear the words that are spoken today. And if you hear them, if you understand them, and if you hear them rightly, then I, I pray that you leave here today agreeing with what James has said about how we are to think about our lives, our futures specifically, and God's will. You know, how sad would it be if you miss what God wants to tell you because you simply did not heed this call to attention? Come now. How sad would it be if that were the case? This would be like, and I thought of this as I was preparing, this would be like sailors scrubbing the deck of the ship in the midst of a hurricane or a terrible storm. To, to think about other things when God wants to tell you something. To be distracted by the things of this world. To be scrubbing the deck of your life when you are either in or headed for one of the greatest storms that you could ever imagine. How silly would it be to not give attention to that? So come now. If you came here today and you've been, again, busy scrubbing the deck of the ship of your life, I want to call attention to a greater need that you have. A far greater need than that. And, and, and again, by way of another analogy, stop arranging the chairs of the deck of the Titanic in your life and come now and consider something greater and more important than the cares of this world could ever be. Come now and listen. Set those other things down. You know what? At the very worst, they will be here when we leave for you to pick back up if you choose to do so. I ask you right now, though, to set them down, to listen, and to hear what God might say to you, to understand what God's will for your life and for your future is or might even be. I ask you to focus on the way and on the a way of viewing your life that will free you to live a life intended for you as a human being and a creature made in the very image of God. So come now and listen what what God would say. His call here to attention is specifically to those who are busy making plans for their life apart from God. Come now, you who say, tomorrow we will go and sell and make profit and do all of these things. If you are one who is making plans for your life apart from God, then I think this call to attention is to you. Come now, you who say. Because later in verse 15, we're going to read a very similar statement, but, but quite different. Here, though, the call is to, to anyone, to you and to me, that maybe are thinking about our future. What, what do I want from my life? What do I want in my future? If I'm asking that question apart 
from God, apart from the attention that I ought to give to Him in my life, then I am making very poor choices and will continue to do so. Truly, every one of us, I think too, by the way, likely have plans that we make apart from God. And so I think in some ways this call to attention is probably to all of us, each one of us. You know, maybe you're young and have your whole life planned out, but the plan doesn't involve God, not like it should. Maybe it involves attending church on Sunday, but attending church on Sunday and, and living your life for God, those are two different things. They're not exactly the same. You can have one without the other, but you can't have the other without the one. But how are you looking at your life? Maybe maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum. You're old and you've got relatively few days and years remaining to you, but you're planning those out and those plans don't involve God. Again, I ask you to give attention to what James says about this. Maybe your plans include great and wonderful things. As you think about your life and you think about your future, you think you're just going to conquer the world, you're going to make a lot of money, you're going to accomplish a lot of things, everything that you set out to do. This seems to be what's in the mind of those that James is writing to specifically as they say, we're going to go to this place and we're going to trade and we're going to make a profit and everything is going to be great. Maybe that's how you're thinking about your future. Is that how you should think about your future? Should you be setting your mind as you think about your life and the future on this idea of great success here in the world? Is that how we should think? Is that how James encourages us to think? Are we to think then about the future at all, as we'll get into in a moment? So maybe that's you. Maybe you're thinking about your future and that future looks bright. But maybe... Maybe you're on the other side of the coin and you're looking out into your future and you're seeing nothing but darkness. Is that how we should look at our future? What is God's will when it comes to man's future? You know, whether your plans are delusions of grandeur or delusions of misery, that's not really the point. The point is how are we to look at our lives and specifically here our future? The question is, really, have you handed your plans to God or are they still just your plans, your intentions? Well, we find the silliness or the folly of making plans without God in verse 14. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. It's great folly to make plans for this life you simply don't know what tomorrow will bring, and neither do I, and neither does anyone else. No one does. This is just true, and no one can deny it. We all know this to be true. So I say again to you, to this point, I, I am speaking rational words. These are not crazy words. These are not words that are anything other than demonstrably true. And so again... I ask you, what are you thinking about your future and how are you thinking about it? Because the truth is simply this. You don't know and neither do I what is going to happen tomorrow. Yet, these that James is writing about seem to be making plans not only for tomorrow, but for an entire year. I want to share with you some thoughts here for your consideration. And I think 
we all would do well to consider them. To think this way about our future, to think this way about God's will and man's future, my future and yours, to think the way that these people were thinking to whom James was writing that we're going to go and do this and they mention not one word about God. They do not mention one word about His will. They simply say, we are going to go and do this. James points out to them and reminds them, you don't even know what is going to happen tomorrow. And so to think this way is both presumptuous on the one hand and somehow at the same time short-sighted on the other. To think this way, the way these people were thinking, it was presumptuous because they could not possibly know what was going to happen over the course of the next year of their life. Their presumption led them to live in such a way as to deny an unavoidable reality of life. And that reality is, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, much less one year from now. I can't possibly know whether my business venture is going to be successful and I'm going to make a profit or not. I can't possibly know that. And as we think about our future and how we're to think about it, and specifically God's will, what's absent from their thinking obviously is this. They don't add that first phrase, if it is God's will, then I'm going to go do these other things. They simply say, take it upon themselves. We're the captain of our own ship. We make our own decisions. We're going to do in life exactly what we want to do. And we're going to make the life that we want to live. And totally separate and apart from a submission and an acknowledgement that they don't even know what is going to happen tomorrow. And they never do. It was short. It was, it was presumptuous then. But it was also short-sighted. It was short-sighted because it simply involved plans that represented a period of time that was insignificant. Do you understand that the plans that we make for our life, all of our life, even when we're young and we lay out our plans for the next six, seven decades, we are making plans over a period of time that in the great scheme of things is insignificant. Next to eternity, it doesn't even equate. Doesn't, doesn't come even near the scale. So it was presumptuous because they didn't know what was going to happen the next day, much less the next year. And it was also short-sighted because they were thinking merely of this life. So then I think we can say that their thinking again was both too long-term and too short-term at the same time. Too long-term because they presumed that life in this world would continue in a predictable manner. And in that, they presumed upon tomorrow to, in, to think that way. Are, are you thinking too long-term in this life? Are, are you thinking too long-term? Are you assuming that your life will continue? That it will continue as it always has? uninterrupted by unplanned and unwanted events? Are you delaying giving your life to God because you have plans for tomorrow that obedience to Him would get in the way of? Are you thinking too short-term in eternal perspective? Are you thinking too long-term in an idea and in the earthly perspective? Are you maybe holding back obedience from God because you think you have tomorrow and you simply don't have it. I ask you today, come now 
Give focus and attention to these thoughts. Stop presuming upon tomorrow and come now to God. And that applies to those of us that are lost as well as those of us that are saved. God's will, our future. How are we to think about these two things? And yet in the thinking of these that James is writing about, they're thinking again it was also too short term because they were thinking in terms of time instead of eternity. Now, I want to ask you very specifically, I want you to think about this. Let's assume for a moment that you are right about your presumption on tomorrow. Let's assume you're right. Let's assume for a moment even that you're right about your presumption on all of your tomorrows in this life. Let's assume you're right somehow that by God's will and by God's grace, you are given the life even that you've presumed upon and you're going to live to a happy old age somewhere and surrounded by family and friends you're going to leave this world let's assume for a moment that you are right about all of it maybe you presumed nothing but good things for your life and you've got a long life ahead of you here and you enjoy it and a great many successes and you enjoy a great many things here in this life and when you get to the end of this life you will realize that your thinking has been far too short-sighted you've been thinking and planning and and looking at your future with a very short vision with a very short view You've looked out on your life and you've seen that I'm going to live to be an old age and I'm going to be happy and I'm going to be successful and I'm going to have all this family and all these friends and I'm going to do all that I want to do and you're going to get to the end of it and you're going to realize perhaps in a moment if you don't realize it before I have been thinking far too short term. I've been thinking only of this life to think in terms of a hundred years next to eternity is far too short term is it not? To think in terms of a million years next to eternity is far too short term, is it not? So how are you thinking about your future? How are you looking at your life? How are you estimating success? How are you determining what it is that you want from life? Are you simply asking that question and thinking about it in terms of this life? If you are, your thinking is far too short term. Look, if your thoughts end where eternity begins, then your thinking is far too short-sighted. Don't stop your thinking with this life. And I say to you as well, if your thinking stops here you need to consider your life and your heart and you need to understand how James talks about the will of God and our future. Do you remember Festus again, how he thought Paul was out of his mind? You may think I'm out of mind to think about eternity and time, but I tell you this, as it turns out in the end, it was Festus who was out of his mind, not Paul. It was Festus who didn't understand, not Paul. Thinking only of this life, Festus thinking only of his position, his power, his riches, and no doubt his well-thought-out and laid-out plans to increase all of those things. His thinking about this life, were it even were it for decades into the future, would have been far too short-sighted. 
Listen about, again, the folly of thinking that this life is worth all of our attention and planning anyway. This, this passage that speaks of our life as a vapor here in the ESV is what it says. Or as a mist, I should say, in the ESV. For you are a mist, but in the American Standard Version, the King James Version, New American Standard Version, and others, and I don't think mist is wrong, but they translate that this Greek word as a vapor. This mist, this vapor. He says, this is what your life is. Listen, this is what our lives here are. They're a vapor. They're a mist. They're a fog. They appear and then they're gone. Your life and here and, and my life here is like this very thing, like this mist or this vapor. It's here one day and the next it isn't. You can see it here in this world for a while, but then it just disappears it dissipates and it's gone but you see the vapor when it disappears it doesn't actually disappear does it remember einstein when he said that matter is neither created or destroyed and remember your science class when you were even in grade school that told you things don't disappear they just change form do you understand that when vapor physically, and I don't think this is an accident, I think this is the mind of God that can put these things together, the vapor that, that is this mist, this vapor that goes up into the air as it cools, you know what it turns into? It turns into condensation. You know what condensation is? It's water. The vapor doesn't go anywhere. It just changes form. And you know, this life here, it's like a vapor. But when you get to the end of it, it's not over. You've just changed form. You've just changed from one place to the next. You're not obliterated. You're not at the end. You are, by almost any definition you can think of, just at the beginning. You're just at the very beginning, if you can even say that about eternity. With, with vapor, it's here. Our lives are here for a little while. And, and like vapor, one day it seems to be gone, and yet it isn't. It's just changed from one form to another. And so too is your life. It's here for a while, like a vapor, but then one day it's no longer here in time, but has gone into eternity and is changed forever. That's what your life is. But how much of our short lives here are spent planning for days none of us can possibly know that we will even have how much of our time is spent thinking about or planning for worrying over or hoping for things while we are in this vaporous form of life here on earth with comparatively little thinking done about what happens when this vapor turns to something else when this life changes and goes from time to eternity. Every day, every day a piece of our lives here evaporates and it's gone forever. Every day, one by one, hour by hour, minute by minute. Our lives are like a mist. They're like vapor that is here. And maybe your vapor in your young years is easily identifiable and lively and you can identify it but then it begins to dissipate and every day of life on this side of eternity 
dissipates and our lives evaporate one day at a time. And one day, the last of the vapor of this life will disappear and we will be gone from this place. But we will not be gone in the ultimate sense of gone. Death is not the end. We even know that in the word itself, in the Greek and the Hebrew. It's not end, it's to separate. It's to go from one to the next. So what are you thinking about your future? How are you thinking about it? Are you too short-sighted in eternity and too far-sighted in this life? Which is it? One day you're going to be changed from time to eternity. Where will you be? And one day, you and I both, every one of us, all men, all women who've ever lived, one day we are going to be eternally cured of this short-sightedness. One day we will. But I call upon you like James does today to come now. To listen now. To heed now. To think about your future. Not in terms of this life. But in terms of the next. To to shadow over your whole life's plan this all-encompassing, larger reality called eternity. Because one day, your short-sightedness will be cured when you see Jesus return. It is to me no coincidence that our lives here are called a vapor. It's a beautiful picture, I think, of exactly what it is. He says in verse 15, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. I want you to notice here how are we to think of our future, man's future and God's will. If you just come to verses 13 and 14, you might say there's no point in planning for tomorrow at all. What's the point, you might say? And in one sense, that's true. We've been trying to make that point to a certain degree. But we need to consider the difference between the statement in verse 15 and verse 13. Notice what the difference is. The difference in the statements is this. If the Lord wills. Look, the Bible doesn't teach you or I to be dismissive of the needs that tomorrow will bring. Should you end up facing those needs. The Bible doesn't teach you to do that. The Bible doesn't teach you to live in such a way that you are unprepared to meet the needs of tomorrow and for those that you are responsible for. That's not what the Bible tells us to do. What it does teach us to do, though, is that we should hold our future at something of a distance from our hearts while we plan and prepare for what we ought to plan and prepare for, knowing all the while that that whole plan is 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 uh, just... On either side of that plan is this statement, if it's God's will. If it's God's will, we'll do this and that. If it's God's will, we're going to go do this or that. It's so easy to overcorrect when we read verses 13 and 14 and we stop. One can use Scripture even to live irresponsibly in the world. One can use the Scripture as a license even to laziness and say, well, there's no sense in going to school or there's no sense in getting a job. There's no sense in applying myself so that I might be able to be improved and bettered tomorrow and that I might be able to provide for those around me. Listen, that's not what the Bible says at all. The Bible says, if the Lord wills, I and we will go do these things. 
The problem with the people in the beginning wasn't that they were trying to make plans. They were making plans without the awareness that it was all dependent upon God's will. That's the difference. So don't lose the baby with the bathwater, as they say. And so again, I think this is very rational. These are words. You should plan for tomorrow, but you should not think for a moment that you will have it. Or that tomorrow is more important than today. You know, one of the greatest problems with thinking you have tomorrow, I want you to hear this because it wrestled with my heart as I thought about it. One of the greatest problems with thinking you have tomorrow is that tomorrow ends up having you. It ends up having you. It ends up consuming today. In this way, today becomes a slave to tomorrow. Becomes obedient to tomorrow. A tomorrow that you don't know that you'll even have. I thought of something a few weeks ago and I want to share it with you now. Learn from yesterday. Plan for tomorrow. Live today. We should learn from the lessons of yesterday and ought not to forget them. We should plan for tomorrow and not dismiss them. But we should live for today, not yesterday or tomorrow. Your plans, your life is the Lord's. And if the Lord wills, that's the attitude we ought to have about our future. And by the way, whether it's a beautiful picture in our minds or whether it's an ugly picture in our minds, we ought to let go of those things and plan for what we need to plan for and say, if it's God's will, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. But it's all sandwiched by the idea that it's all dependent upon God's will. So let me ask you, where are you living? Are you living in yesterday? Are you living in tomorrow? Or are you living today? And beyond that, are you living today with the committed obedience of submitting all your life, all your todays, all your tomorrows to the Lord in such a way as to say, if the Lord wills, then today I'm going to do this. And tomorrow I'm going to do that. If the Lord wills. Now, I think there's something here of great importance in these words that might be easy to overlook. James writes and that we are to say that if the Lord's will is, then we will do this or that. So I think the plans we make for tomorrow, we make them in view of God, but with the understanding that only God knows what tomorrow holds. And thus our plans are always subject to his always. But that does not mean we ought not to plan for tomorrow or think of tomorrow. So do you see what this means in terms of plans we make? We make plans and we should. I think that's what the Bible is telling us here. If the Lord wills, we're going to go do these things. We make plans with the best of intentions, with our hearts given to God, but doing so does not mean that those plans are going to ever succeed or even take place. But we make plans nonetheless. Often the tomorrows that we plan today in full submission to God do not work out the way that we thought of them. Sometimes we think that as long as our plans are made with submissive hearts to God, then we can be sure that God is going to make sure our plans work out. But that's not true. It's not what the Bible says. If the Lord wills, I'm going to go do these things. If the Lord wills, 
I'm going to do this or that in my life. Time would fail to even begin to speak of all those who have followed God sincerely and truly, whose plans did not work out as they expected. But I want to give you a couple of examples. Elizabeth Elliot, you've probably heard of her if you've read the book Through the Gates of Splendor and of her husband and Jim Elliot and those missionaries that went to Ecuador to reach the tribe of the of the Harani people. And we've you've read if you've read that book, you know that that Jim and three others or four others with him were speared to death by the very people they were simply trying to bring the gospel to. And Elizabeth and Jim had been married just three years before that. They had a 10-month-old daughter. And if their plans, as they thought of the future, they were thinking, I'm going, we're going to go because we want to bring the gospel to this tribe of people to tell them about Jesus so that they might be saved and know the Lord. And as we think about that, well, if that's a heart submitted to God. They went where God sent them and yet they ended up at the end of a spear of those who didn't even understand what they were trying to say who were as afraid of them as they could possibly be and so they killed them and we think well those plans were made in submission to God how could it work out that way our plans are always under the umbrella of God's will here they were missionaries in Ecuador and at what they believed and were convinced was the Lord's will just to have their entire lives turned upside down. You make plans and you always preface it with if it's the Lord's will. Because you don't always know, do you? You don't always know. William Carey, the founder of uh, the Baptist Missionary Society was also a man uh, given who gave his life to the work of God. He became known as the father of modern missions for his work in India. In 1787, he suggested that all Christians had a duty to share the gospel around the world. And he, as a young man, uh, he was told, as once he said that, he was told, because he was a young man, he said, young man, sit down. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he'll do it without your aid or mine. Undeterred, and I am reading from a history here, undeterred, Carey founded the Baptist Missionary Society five years later. This is in 1792, preaching the message. And he was as he was preaching a message there, he, his famous quote is this, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. The next year he traveled to India with his family, but his struggles continued. He's making plans. If the Lord will, I'm going to go to India and share the gospel with those people. And so we would be tempted to think, well, then those plans are surely going to work out just like we want them to or think they should. But Carey saw no conversions for seven years. His son Peter died of dysentery. His wife's mental health deteriorated rapidly. And he said this, this is indeed the valley of the shadow of death to me. But I rejoice that I am here, notwithstanding that is in India, and God is here. For today, for you and me, consider how we are to consider our plans, even when those plans are according to God's will. If we say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do one thing or another, and that this one thing or another ought to, of course, be aligned with our calling to share the gospel of Christ with the world. That's how we are to think about our future, man's future, and God's will. Do not get ahead of God's plans with your own. 
I think this verse, by the way, this is also important. I think if you'll bear with me for just a little while longer, I think this verse teaches us something of God's sovereignty and our free will. And I do want to call it out. I don't want to major on these things, but I want to call it out. I think specifically it teaches us the presence of both, does it not? Man's will, man's free will that God has given to him and God's sovereignty. If God wills, there's his sovereignty. We will go and do this. There's man's free will. Right there in one verse, both of them existing side by side. To remove one is to remove the other. For the one who thinks God is sovereign and man does not have free will, I ask you this, what if God's sovereign will is that you make up your own mind about Him? Because I believe that's exactly what God has said. Let every man be persuaded in his own mind, Paul wrote to the Romans. For the one who thinks God is not sovereign and man's destiny is his own to make apart from God, I ask you this, is your will so powerful that you can will things into existence and keep other things that you don't want to happen at bay in your life? Of course you can't. And of course you haven't. And of course you never will. So you see, both of these things work together in some way known fully, I think, only to the mind of God. God is sovereign and He has told you and me to choose. That's what He's done. Verse 16, we need to wrestle with before we conclude today. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. As these people were thinking only of their tomorrows in this world, James tells them they were essentially boasting in ignorance. The word boasting in the Greek is to express an unusually high degree of confidence in someone or something being exceptionally noteworthy. An unusually high degree of confidence. And arrogance means this, a state of pride, but with the implication of a complete lack of basis for such an attitude. That's arrogance no basis for what they believe or think of the world and themselves but that's how they're living james as is his manner does not pull punches he calls this type of living evil to be presumptuous and dismissive it's an evil way of life some might think that too harsh but it isn't it's evil because it clouds the truth You might say, you know what, preacher, you shouldn't, you shouldn't really offend people's sensibilities today. You should encourage them to live their best life now. And I know that's easy cannon fodder for any preacher today. But I want you to understand that, that the son would say that, that they, you know, don't want to discourage people or make them sad or make them concerned. But I, I'm telling you today, that's evil. To, to not call attention to something of far greater importance. It's evil to think this way because it clouds the truth. It's evil because it preoccupies men and women with the things of, that won't matter in the end and thus encourages them to live an empty life. That's what it does to not wrestle with this. It's also evil because it encourages men and women to forget what and who they really are. Immortal creatures who will be with God in heaven or without Him in hell. It's evil because it dismisses that 
fundamental truth and dismisses it to say, just think about this life. Your future is all about this life. It's all about this world. Are you thinking about your future with those short-sighted terms in mind? I would ask you with James to come now. Give attention. Are you expressing an unusually high degree of confidence in this life? by the way you're living it? Do you live your life with a pride that you have no basis for? Or are you planning for tomorrow in full recognition that you may never have it and it is only if God wills that you are able to fulfill the plans you're making anyway? And we will close here with verse 17 and understand the very important lesson that knowledge is dangerous. Knowing this is dangerous for you. It's a weapon. Knowledge is a weapon in a way. It's a dangerous weapon. It's dangerous when wielded against an enemy. A weapon is. And, and knowledge of Scripture is a sure weapon in the hands of the man or the woman who knows it well enough to resist temptation from the world and the devil even himself. Yet it is a dangerous weapon, this knowledge of the Scripture, to oneself if it is not rightly handled and used. You see, you and I know this now. We know what James has said. We can't unknow it. And maybe you knew all of this before you came here today, but perhaps you didn't. But either way, now we know. You know, and thus you are under the obligation today to respond to the truth of God's Word. The end of learning here is obedience. It isn't enough to know the Sunday school answers that we were taught as children. We must live today those Sunday school answers we were taught. It's not enough to know the Scriptures. We must live them. It's not enough to know the right thing to do. You must do the right thing. So then, again, it isn't enough to know that it is short-sighted to live in this world absence of an awareness of God and a, a submission to that phrase if it be his will it's not enough to know that's how we ought to live we, we must live that way it's how we ought to think about our future and God's will it's how we ought to put them together I want to read just a f couple of final comments that I thought were worth sharing with you today this one from found in the pulpit commentary our guilt will be the greater if we do not practice what we clearly know but every professing Christian knows perfectly well the uncertainty of life. How aggravated then is our sin when we boast ourselves of tomorrow. And then in the Bible Knowledge Commentary, Victor Brooks, I believe, writes this, and he refers back to all that James has been saying in this last chapter and the one before it. To attain spiritual maturity, a believer must do the good he now knows. He must stand confidently on God's Word even in trials and temptations. He must compassionately serve his brethren without prejudicial favoritism but with practical faith. And here's what I definitely want you to hear. He must speak carefully with a controlled tongue and wise cultivated thought. He must submit in contrition to his all-powerful Father, lawgiver, and judge with a humble spirit just action and a trusting heart. He must be what God wants him to be, do what God wants him to do, speak as God wants him to speak, and sense what God wants him to sense. We must do that that we have been made to know with regard to the will 
of God. You might think that what I have said is not at all how you think about your life, and maybe you think you have a better way even here than James has said, and I, I would challenge you to name it. Name a better way. Name a better way. What use, use is there in gaining the whole world just to lose it all and your own soul along with it? What good is that? How can the life lived this way be a poor life to live it the way James says? How can that be a poor life when it ends with all the promises of, of the psalmist in Psalm 23? And I do want to take just one more moment of your time because I want you to hear what this ends in. Because you might think that this is no way to live. I want to live my life. I want to do what I want to do. I want to go gain all that I want to gain. I want to do all that my desire is to do. And, I, and you might think that to give it up to God, to, to surrender to Him, and to live your life with that phrase always pre, uh, pre, uh, being in front of your will, if the Lord wills, this, this life that I'm talking about, that James is talking about, ends in this 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is where this life ends, and I challenge you to name a better one. Have you ever flipped the 23rd Psalm around? This is, this is what is for you if you reject the Lord or you live your days apart from His will. The Lord is not my shepherd if I live that way. I never lie down in green pastures but find only one dry and thirsty place after another. The waters of life are never still, but always churning with waves of despair, angst and worry and grief crashing continually against me and my life one after the other. My soul is spent and never restored. I do not live in the path of righteousness with a purpose greater than my own life. I fear evil and the things that happen in this world every day. And perhaps worst of all, God is not with me. And His rod of correction and comfort, I do not fear. I ask you today, and I ask you at the beginning, and I wanted you to come now and to listen and to weigh my words. What are you thinking about your future? How are you thinking about it? And in light of that, God's will in your life. What is your judgment? With that in mind, I ask you again to remember that you might be discouraged or you might be thinking all sorts of things. Yesterday's gone. Tomorrow's not yours. So come to God just now. Just now. Today. And then keep going to God just now for all of the days that may come between here and the end of this life when the last of the vapor of your life evaporates and you'll be with God. Is there anything that God is calling you to do today? Is He calling you to salvation? Is He calling you to obedience? 
How are you thinking about your future and God's will? Is there anything that God is calling you today? I pray that you would come now and obey his voice in your heart. Let's have a song.